friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Is that a new blazer? I feel no, it's a, it's actually an old blazer that has come out for the summer. Wow. Even though it's not summer yet, because I am attempting to will the summer in across this great country of ours, including yes. the greater Toronto area. We need it. Where I wore my bleeping tube to walk the dog today. <laughs> it's a little chilly. It's about time. Really windy lately, too. I don't know if you noticed that. People in Winnipeg are going, shut up! <laughs> In Northern snow. Ontario, Kenora. Snow. They're giving us the old Aina with that one. I got it. Deserved. You know what? All of this country needs spring. It needs summer. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Had enough of the winter. It's what baseball's supposed to be for. I, yeah, I enjoy the winter. I'm done. Yeah. I am with done. You. We're back. Woohoo! Tim and friends! Back on the Easter slash Passover slash Ramadan Monday. I know my Sikh friends and Hindus also observing and celebrating over the weekend. Some of my Greek homies doing their Palm Sunday thing this weekend. And some folks just grabbing their stat holidays and chilling. Even if you're working like Jesse Rubinoff and I. Hope you are having a blessed weekend. This right here is Tim and Friends for Monday, April the 18th. We're done bitching and moaning about the weather. Coming to you live and direct from the Sportsnet studios in Toronto, I'm Timothy McAuliffe. That is Jesse Rubinoff, also getting in on the battle royale of sports talk today. Arden Zwelling on the Jays' 6-4 mm. start. P.J. Stock on the Flames and Canucks' double dip on Sportsnet. Hometown hockey tonight. And Amy Otterbert from Wells Fargo Center in the city of not-so-brotherly love. Not at all. Ahead of Game 2 of the Sixers and Raptors tonight. Some news, some updates, plenty of opinions right off the bat from Philadelphia. So let's get you the dilly from Philly with First Things First Q. Biggie, Jesse, what's on the dockets, Hershey Hawkins? How's the mouthful there? <laughs> a bit of a stretch. Spitting on fire, that one. though. That was a bit of a stretch on that one, but we got there. Spitting fire Just after the four-day Hershey weekend. Hawkins. Yeah. Great shooter. Shout out Bradley. Dead-eye shooter. Crazy score at Bradley. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, speaking of scoring, the Sixers did a lot of it yes. in game one against the Toronto Raptors. And the big question heading into tonight's game two is who's in and who's out for the Raps? Scotty Barnes and Thaddeus Young both left game one with injuries while Gary Trent Jr. is dealing with a non-COVID illness. Barnes was in a walking boot this morning and will not play tonight. Nick Nurse gave an update earlier today. Scotty's out. Um, uh, Gary is not here for shoot around. He's uh, still doubtful. Um, and Thad is, um, I mean, he's got some damage there in his thumb. They are going to try to tape him up here today and see what it looks like here at shoot around, but I would imagine he's doubtful too. The ability to, to get to your own identity, uh, scrambling on defense and ball hockey and that kind of stuff. Does that matter who plays, or is that just a, a team-wide kind of thing you need to get to? Well, I think it's, you're right, we got to get to our identity. Whoever steps on the floor should be able to go out there and do it. But listen, it matters who plays in these games, that's for sure, right? It, it certainly matters. We've been through adversity as a team, um, and, and we definitely show that we can bounce back, and, and, and I think that, again, we can figure it out. And um, I feel like if there's a team that can do it, it's us, so 
um, obviously we want those guys back as soon as possible, you know, whenever they can come back. So, um, but, but yeah, next man up mentality, just go out there um, and, 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 you know, hostile environment, but, but hey, we, we can do it. Nick Nurse slated to speak again at 6 p.m. Eastern time, and maybe we'll get another update on the other guys, but uh, is this going to be too much for the Raptors to overcome in I won't, game two in the rest of the series. I won't count them out, but they're going to need a Sherpa to get out of this hole. Like, Nick Nurse looked exhausted. He looked like yeah. he had gone to Tibet and looked for the Sherpa that could help them climb out of this hole and then came back for morning shoot-around. I mean, you could argue that Scotty Barnes was the best player in game one for the Toronto Raptors, and he's out of the lineup tonight. And There's going to be a lot of things that are lost in this series, and it's going to be really tough for the Toronto Raptors. I feel like there have already been things that have been lost in all of the talk because of the injuries, Mm -hmm. but Raptor fans, don't let that go away. That Scotty Barnes, in his first career NBA playoff start, not only looked the part, you could argue he was one of the best Raptors on a team that has NBA champions. Like, he was really good, and there were a couple times where it felt like the Sixers were trying to bully the Raptors. Yeah. And I loved, absolutely loved his flagrant one when he ran over Tyrese Maxey and did not apologize for it. The Raptors were taking the boots, and he decided he wasn't going to put up with it much longer. And don't let, that's a great sign moving forward. Even if you lose this series, Raptor fans, don't lose sight of that. But man, is it going to be tough with what looks like one-third of their nine-man rotation out of the lineup tonight. And again, you mentioned Nick Nurse will speak again at 6 p.m. Eastern time, so we might get more information in about an hour's time. But it looks like one-third of their nine-man rotation is out against a good team. They're in trouble. They're in trouble if they're not going to have Scotty Barnes and Gary Trent. You could tell that Gary Trent was off. Now we know that he played sick. Uh, and was not sharp, was not the Gary Trent Jr. that we have come become accustomed to watching. And part of what makes this team so good, or at least get to a five seed in the Eastern Conference, is that they're balanced, they all pull together. There is consistency in that starting lineup. They have five players that score in double digits, and without two of those guys, you're going to be relying on the bench. And what we saw from the bench in Game 1 was a little bit alarming. Chris Boucher running into foul trouble. So there are significant issues The whole thing was alarming. Yeah. Like, another thing lost in this is that the Sixers were ready for what the Raptors do well and did better than the Raptors what Toronto does well. Like, I think there's a lot of people who just wanted to believe in the moxie of the Toronto Raptors. And I get it. They are champions. Mm -hmm. But they were dogs in this series. You and I talked about this. I know you get caught in the Kool-Aid of watching your own team, but the Raptors won the season series by out-rebounding, dominating the offensive glass, by winning the second chance points, fast break points, and field goal attempts by a significant margin in the regular season. Mm -hmm. And in Game 1, they lost all five of those battles. I would have loved to have seen what the adjustments were from Nick Nurse and what the adjustments were from Doc Rivers with all of the starters back in. I think you would have seen maybe a different Raptors approach in Game 2. But give the Sixers full credit here. They did better what the Raptors do well. And that that is damning 
in a game one of a series. There are adjustments to be made, but I feel, and I don't think Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris are going to combine for what, like 64? <laughs> just, I mean, forward. the team had 131, so someone yeah, needed and, to and step Yeah, and Embiid struggled. Yeah. And Harden wasn't a huge, he was, he was good. Maxey was insane. He was insane. Yeah. Um, so part of the issue and why Tyrese Maxey went off and why the Sixers scored 131 points in a ridiculously uh, efficient performance was that the Raptors' defense was not as aggressive as we've become accustomed to seeing. And part of that was because of the foul calls that were coming fast and furious. One was eight seconds in on Fred Van Vliet. I know a lot of Raptors it. fans were complaining about the referees, but... If they're going to get these types of foul calls, it's going to neutralize the Raptors' defense to some extent here. That was a terrible omen to get yeah. that foul. I mean, he had 2,058 seconds. The so second bad. one, you can't really. But that changes what Fred Van Vliet does in a massive way. And give, again, the Sixers credit. Maxi exploited that. The mm-hmm. rest of the game, they went at Fred Van Vliet because they knew that he couldn't pick up more fouls. And because of that, that changes the way he plays the game. I thought that first one was ticky-tack Very. and you didn't need to call it. I thought there were a lot of calls that went the way of the Philadelphia 76ers. But let's not forget, like, Joel Embiid is one of the three finalists for the MVP award. He's going to get a few. I thought he got a couple too many whistles. But here's, here's what Joel Embiid is. He is sneaky, dirty, cheap, and I kind of respect it. <laughs> He's definitely sneaky about it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. He is sneaky, dirty, and cheap, and I kind of respect because he's able to get away with that elbow to the face Ridiculous. without it being called. This one, they ended up calling it. Don't forget the little shove at the end, too, and the whining and the crying. The Raptors were going to have to change this somehow. And in the past, yeah, <laughs> Pascal Siakam goes down. He stands over him, gets the push. I respect it. That's the way you play the game mm-hmm. in 2022. And he wasn't effective from the floor so you've got to do other things to make your impact and I, I, I want to not like it but if he was on my team I would absolutely love it totally. and I think that most Raptor fans feel the same way and why you need one of those bigs on your lineup, in your lineup like a Gasol size or maybe even a Serge Ibaka to say if you're going to do that to our guys mm-hmm. we're going to do that to you but they don't really have that guy so what do they do here? Because uh, what they're doing is they're playing effective defense against Joel Embiid. Uh, they did a good job against him all season, really. Pray they've, done, Maxie, they've done a good job. Pray that Maxie and Harris can't do what they did, right. can't replicate what they did in game one and play the best possible defense that you can play yeah. and make a few adjustments and see if Doc Rivers has the adjustments to your adjustments. Because that's what the playoffs are about. They're about, one, your game plan going in, and then, two, how you change that. Never forget what happened against the Milwaukee Bucks because it looked like it was over when Giannis and the Bucks were up 2-0. And the Raptors changed game plans and completely confounded and mm-hmm. outcoached and outplayed the Bucks. You, there's no margin for error, though. With all of these injuries, there's absolutely no margin for error. They have to play tough, tough defense and hope to hell that Maxie doesn't play another game like that and that Tobias Harris doesn't play another yeah. game like that because you're not going to keep Harden and Embiid down like you did in game one. 
It's an opportunity for someone on the Raptors roster to step up in Game 2. Uh, Amy Otterberg coming up a little bit later to discuss more about that series. But Game 1 of the highly anticipated Nets-Celtics series certainly lived up to the hype. Kyrie Irving got into it with the Boston crowd and scored 39 points, including a three-pointer that gave Brooklyn the lead with under a minute to go, setting up a wild finish. Celtics the best defensive team in the NBA this year. Need a stop here. Irving gets away from the double team, continues into the paint, scrambling, double teamed again, back out to Durant, shot clock at two, Durant's got to put it up, gets it off in time, off the mark, no good, Horford the rebound, Celtics have a timeout, decide not to use it here, Brown the drive, Jalen Brown kicks it out, Smart fakes, inside, Tatum spins and he puts it in, Celtics go up by one, Unbelievable. Very uh, unbelievable spin, unbelievable finish. A lot of storylines from that game. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from game one? It, it was a lot of fun. It was amazing. I was watching Jesse Rubinoff on the Twitter thing. You really enjoyed this. I want to see like, seven games of that. The, the beauty of how tight the Eastern Conference is in the NBA is that we get that in the first round. Yeah. And as you look forward, like there's not going to be an easy conference semifinal. Or like, I got a feeling like every one of the series moving forward out of this round is going to be similar to what we're seeing here because none of these teams are bad and like forgetting the Kyrie for just a split second what I saw in the final 28 seconds of that game were the difference between the two teams I think what we saw here was Jason Tatum elevate his game to an absolutely new level this year and this may have been the moment we look back at and say, that's when he became the elite of the elite. That's when he became top five player in the NBA. He's not there yet, but this was a big moment for him. And the team, they did this with defense. And the possession, the 28 seconds Amazing. left, Brooklyn possession. Have a watch at this possession and watch the multiple efforts given by the Celtics defender. This may have been one of the better defensive possessions I've seen in a long time against two great NBA players in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Forcing them into that spot. And then look at the contrast at the other end. Because you know who was guarding Jason Tatum? Top of the key right now, Kevin Durant. Watch what he does. Staring at the ball. Tatum walks by back door. Spin. Great pass what from Smart. Love, peace, and hair grease. And again, Kevin Durant was the one who fell asleep. The execution in the postseason is every possession. And this game, for me, the biggest takeaway was that the Celtics, in an evenly matched game, executed better and with all of the talent that we know Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have, I'm not sure we could have said that about Celtics teams of the past. And I think we saw it yeah. in this one. I don't know if they keep it up, but if they do, look to bleep out. All five Celtics players touched the ball in that final possession. And, I mean, Marcus Smart in past years probably would have taken that shot. But pump fake, give it to your best player, and let him finish. Did you, uh, did you have a problem with the uh, the old uh, one-finger salutes from Kyrie Irving? There were a couple of them. Right? <laughs> he, I was just making fun of Ryan Hartman. I know, but that was to and... another player. Now, this is to fans. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? I, I don't know. I, yes, yes, I have a problem with it. Um, and he had some things to say 
afterwards because the fans were on him clearly all game long, and then he resorted to doing that sort of thing. But why don't we listen to what he had to say, and then we'll have a conversation. This is the dichotomy, though, of like the, the answers to this are why he is so interesting to yes. me, for lack of a better word. Yes. It's not every fan. I don't want to attack every fan, every Boston fan. But, um, you know, when people start yelling, be a and you and all this stuff, there's but so much you can take uh, as a competitor. This isn't my first time at TD Garden. So what you guys saw and what you guys think is as entertainment or the fans think is entertainment, all is fair in competition. You know, so if some, somebody's going to call me out of my name, I'm going to look at them straight in the eye and see if they really bout it. Most of the time they're not. To that point, do you feel like the hostility that you get still? Let's not let's not focus on this. Like, ask me questions about the game. Like, it's not about the fans. The fans aren't playing from a basketball standpoint. Yeah, do you feel like the hostility you get? There's no hostility, bro. It's basketball. Well, you were flicking some people off. I'd say that's some hostility. From what? What? What point? Are you guessing that that's hostility or like hostility for me is like growing up? Well, we've never seen that from you this season, where you are running down the floor, flicking people off. This is the first time you actually caught it because it's a big-time game. I respond in different ways. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to focus on that. If you want to ask me questions about the fans, go ask them. Go on the street and ask them questions. Right? But I'm asking from your perspective, from a basketball perspective, do you feel like the hostility that you get? It's not hostility, fans, bro. Do you feel like the energy you get from fans in this building brings the best from you? Embrace it. Embrace it. It's the dark side. Embrace it. Not hostility, but it's the dark side. He's the most complicated guy, oh. I think, in, in all of sports. Like, rightly or wrongly, whatever. I, I mean, not forming any opinion on him personally, other than the fact that he is extraordinarily complicated. Because he contradicted himself about seven times in that one and, answer. And did so very eloquently. Yes. <laughs> but do you have a problem with him flipping? Like, I don't really have a problem with him giving it back to the fans. I'm the wrong guy to ask. I, mean, I don't care. For, yeah, I don't care, but don't act like it's nothing. <laughs> like you're, you were the whole team stomped on the logo, right? Like the definition. There's of video of him stomp. You burn sage at the garden. Yeah. Like, to, what are you talking? Like, this is a complete fabrication of the media. Even though you're flipping the bird to the face, like it's just. He's not the first athlete in history to get. Booed no. or chirped either. But it's almost so. like he's trying so hard to prove that he's not affected that you know he's really affected. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like the kid in grade four. I, you know honestly, what I, mean? I have, I have uh, no, no idea. No, no, I'm not bothered by that. <laughs> no, you can call me. You can call me shorty. I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm tall in life. <laughs> I'm tall and I'll stand tall. I respect that he keeps giving us content, so keep keep going, Kyrie. Uh, Over to hockey now. The Vancouver Canucks look to keep their playoff hopes alive as they host the Stars tonight, part of a Rogers hometown hockey doubleheader on Sportsnet. With seven games remaining, the Canucks are seven points back of the Stars and Predators in the wild card race and six points back of the Kings for third in the Pacific. Is there still hope? Kyrie was really good. For the Vancouver Canucks. Yes, but not really. Yes, there's still hope. But not really. Like, statistically, there like, is. What, what, what's the margin for error, right? Like, it is tiny. Uh, tonight, it's zero. They absolutely, positively need two points, and they need it in regulation. And to be honest, they've had this shot before and come out flat. Mm-hmm. Like, if I were a Canucks fan, that's what I would be looking for tonight. Are we ready to play, 
or are we overwhelmed by the moment? Like, there are still things you can learn about teams, even if they miss the playoffs or are eliminated early. And that is absolutely one of them. How do they perform when the chips are down? Okay, we get it. Lucy Goosey, Bruce, there it is. Yep. Canucks have checked that box. When there was no pressure, they got the new coach, they responded, and they played well. Must win to prove that you are real well. A couple Sundays ago, after back-to-back losses to the Blues, at home to Vegas, they came out flat. And it wasn't the first time. Fell behind 2-0, got it to overtime right. before losing. But that come out flat again hurt them a lot. Love the response since then. Five straight, including two against Vegas, though the third period last Tuesday against the Golden Knights also cost them, gave a point before they won in overtime. Again, margin for error here is slim and none, and none is leaving town. Time to execute. The time is absolutely now to execute. Let's see how they respond this time. And I do think that you can take something from this even if they miss the playoffs. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bruce Boudreau, their best players have been performing like their best players. Like, Pedersen's been a lot better. Horvat was really good before he got hurt. Yeah, JT Miller. Pod Colson's been playing really well now. So, uh, you know, without move, your captain, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, moving forward, a lot of positive things from Bruce Boudreau. Just unfortunate they're not going to be able to, or unlikely that they're going to be able no, to climb I, out of the hole. I do. I really think that you can, like, if, if the Canucks are looking to make changes in the offseason, I definitely think you can point to a few of these big games and ask why did they not come out with the kind of uh, intensity that you need in big games. Very good point. Um, Should all three Hart Trophy finalists be from Canadian teams? And obviously we're talking here about Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, and Johnny Goudreau. Some some would say Mitch Martyr, some would say Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah, are we obviously talking about those three, or is that because I I put those three in my... No, those are the three betting favorites um, from Canadian teams. From Canadian teams. Listen, um, with all due respect to Jonathan Uberdo, and uh, I do mean that with all due respect because I really like the player, I think Johnny Gaudreau has put himself in the conversation mm-hmm. for Hart Trophy finalist, and I think he's the third. I think it is Connor McDavid, I think it is Austin Matthews, and I think it's Johnny Gaudreau. And I wrote down some Johnny Gaudreau stats to make sure that I got to the right spot because... I really do like Jonathan Uberdo. Mm-hmm. But here's why. As the Flames got good, Goudreau has been at his best in clutch. He's got nine game-winning goals. That's tied for fourth in the league. He's 19th in goals, but seventh in even-strength goals and leads the NHL in even-strength points, points yeah. by nine. It's crazy. Like, it's not even close. He's got 13 more even-strength points than Uberdo, who has three more points than him in the total points category. That's why he's a plus 59 to lead the league. And I know a lot of people think "Ah, that's a BS stat, but for him that's real, and that's why Lindholm and Kachuk have teamed up to be right there as well and probably the best line in hockey. Um, And that's why if I were putting it all together, I would have Matthews, McDavid and Goudreau as my top three Hart Trophy finalists. PJ Stock coming up a little bit later. We'll, we'll ask, ask him more about that. It's impossible to choose because there have been so many you know, great performances. You know who season. leads the league in scoring since January 1st? Who's that? Mitch, Mitch Marner. Marner. I knew it. 
The Toronto Blue Jays are off today before opening a series in Boston tomorrow as they begin a stretch of 20 games in 20 days, which sounds insane. The Jays took two of three from the A's over the weekend and are now six and four on the season. So it's 10 games, a little bit of a benchmark. How would you assess their play? Good, good. They, they, here's the deal, and we're running out of time, so I'm going to make this brief, but I want to say it with some strength here. Mm. They haven't really started hitting. And they're 6-4 and four against some pretty good teams. Like, I think that this is a really good start for them. They've had some significant injuries along the way. And I think they've been really good. So, once the hitting gets going, which it will, especially when Teoscar returns, I think you can see that if they are healthy, this is going to be a very dangerous yeah. lineup. And to be 6-4 and four based on... Pitching and defense, you could argue. <laughs> like that's aside a really that's yeah. a really good sign for this team. Yeah, aside from Ryu, who everyone told me to hush up when I said, Is this a trend? Yeah, that was me. That was me. No, there were more than you. <laughs> there was also a guest that just day that told games. me to hush me up. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a game. And no, it's not just a game. No, it's it's just last year and this year. Trouble. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna get it. I want to talk about the robot umpires, because I don't believe in robot umpires. But I think we're being led down the road to robot umpires. Because they're so bad. So, prom- yeah, promise yeah. me that we will get this. Yes. I don't believe in it. I hate it. I don't like the idea. But if you're going to be less than competent behind the plate, we're going to get to robot umpires. That was the one of the worst we've seen in a long time over the weekend. Oh, in a long time. All right. In case you missed it yesterday, another friend of the show, Buck Martinez, revealed that he has taken some time off to battle cancer. Now, Buck has been a true friend of the show since Jump. Since the time this 26-year-old cutting his teeth in the business, True Story, showed up at a Jays press conference to introduce Buck Martinez as the manager in 2001. The Score Television Network had asked for a one-on-one, which is one of those stick mics you talk to the guy. And just before we were ready to do it, Buck put his hand on my back and said, What's your name again? In my haste to think of the questions and wipe copious amounts of sweat off of my brow, I forgot to introduce myself to the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. He asked me what my name was. In that interview, Buck answered everything. Well, you know, Tim, and as you know, Tim, making it seem like the Jays manager knew my name. It's a small thing to the audience, but a huge thing for a nervous kid trying to stick in his dream job. He was still a friend when Sid and I were doing broadcasts from our closet and our kitchen in a global pandemic, and there was absolutely nothing to talk about through to the playoffs when everyone and their mom is asking for his time. So this is a thank you, Buck, and a you got this, Buck, because anyone who watched him play knows Buck Martinez is nails. Always has been nails, tough as they come nails undrafted to 17 big league seasons and the greatest double play in Jay's history on a broken leg. All proof of that toughness. So Buck Martinez, who applies a tag on a dude while laying on the ground with a broken leg, I can't wait to see that toughness once again when you kick cancer's ass, and I can't wait to see you back in the booth. I know I speak for the entire Tim and Friends team, When I say we're pulling for you, we're thinking of you and the family. 
All right, still to come. P.J. Stock helps us tee up the night in the NHL. We'll discuss that Hart Trophy race. Amy Otterberg from Philly had a game two between the Raptors and the Sixers. And up next, Arden Zwelling stops by to discuss the Jays' start. And uh, maybe some robot umpires will do that here. Tim and friends on a Monday. Let's go. Guerriero looked like he took a close pitch that was off the plate. And Charlie Uh, just got tossed. And you know what? You can't blame Charlie. It's been going on the whole game. How do you feel about that strike zone today? I'm watching the game, and, and I feel like I have to protect my, my, my players. Sixers down the Raptors by 20. They were going to try to bully us right off the floor and deliver a blow to see if we'll go away. Now we're going to find out if we will or not. Here's Connor Bedard, high slot, shoots, he scores! Number 15! Connor Bedard is the youngest player in Western Hockey League history to 50 goals. People in this town, in this country, are just so excited about baseball being back and what this team might be able to accomplish. season of the Blue Jays have an early lead. Base hit into right field. Collins with a two-hit night and drives it a run to make it three to one Blue Jays. When you're christened by Vladdy Jr., you're officially a member of the Blue Jays. And a breaking ball at the knees to get him. Oh boy. I mean that one's further away than the others. That one's four or five inches outside. And Charlie just got tossed. And you know what? You can't blame Charlie. It's been going on the whole game. How do you feel about that strike zone today? (laughs) I'm watching the game and I feel like I have to protect my players. This is the guy that has quickly become the stopper on this team. Alec Manoa, just 24 years old. Swing and a miss. Manoa with strikeout number six. Ninth inning, one run lead. Who else would you want on the mound other than Jordan Ramon? Zimmer back is there, and the ball game is over. Romano picks up his major league leading sixth save. The Blue Jays take two out of three in the series from the Oakland A's. There was a lot that went on this weekend, and here to help us take stock of the Jays' first 10 games is Arden Zwelling of the At The Letters podcast. If you are doing baseball right, you have subscribed and hit the like button on the At The Letters podcast. Uh, What's up, Arden? How are you, man? Jim, it's good to see you, buddy. I I feel your finger pain. I dislocated my, uh, I did the PIP joint on my middle or on my ring finger uh, right before I went to spring training. So I'm, I'm with you in solidarity right now. Mine, mine doesn't hurt at all. I've just been told you must keep it straight for six weeks. Otherwise, yeah, it won't I, go back. I dislocated it and it like, I'll send you the x-ray, dude. It went like up. It was, <laughs> it was, it was like a Z. What my finger oh, oh, was nice. not good. Uh, yeah. Do you want to explain how you did it or is that story <laughs> probably... <laughs> I was playing rugby, yeah. so as I do with every, as I've broke every bone in my body, it's always playing rugby. Uh, but yeah, it's a look. No, you get no sympathy for it, right? Because people no. are like, ah, it's just a finger, whatever. Yeah. That hurts. <laughs> every time you put on a shirt, you know, you try to put your hand in your pocket, open right. a car door, carrying groceries. You don't realize how how much you use your finger. This honestly, mine didn't hurt at all. Like it was, we I severed the ligaments. So all I, it's called a mallet finger. Sounds so bad. And when when it happens, it just there's a you feel it, 
But then, like, I didn't feel any pain. It's just that it was bent the wrong way. <laughs> and they said, keep it straight for six weeks. Well, right now I'm going through like the rehab, quote unquote, of getting it moving again. Yeah. So let me tell you, you are in for a, a fun time with that, my friend. <laughs> I was talking to someone. They do like finger exercises and like Play-Doh and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, you want to feel really lame when you're sitting there doing your finger exercises. You feel on pretty lame. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I feel like Jesse asked me this question about the start, the first 10 games, and, and I am very wary of drinking any Kool-Aid. I think as a host on a show, you shouldn't drink the Kool-Aid. I think 6-4 and four is a decent start given what they've gone through. Yeah, if you do that every 10 games, you're yeah. going to win like 96, 97 times. Yeah. That's not bad. And have we seen the best of this offense yet? No. Have we seen the best of this rotation yet? No. Uh, we've probably seen the best of the bullpen. The bullpen's yeah, been really good. solid to this point. But yeah, you know, I don't think this team has approached its ceiling yet. So I like honestly, I think they were right where they should be after, you know, considering the way that they played and the things that they've gone through haven't lost a series yet and you know plenty of room to grow from here i don't want to keep on the kool-aid so what's the most concerning thing to you right now injuries 1000 yeah. percent injuries hunjin ryu injury and the performance before that obliques to teoscar hernandez and danny jansen it's not like you're suffering injuries to the zach collins's and the bradley zimmers of this world these are really key pieces we don't give teoscar hernandez his flowers enough but he is such an important part yeah. of this lineup so that hurts your ceiling offensively hunjin ryu is somebody you were counting on to throw another 160 170 innings like he did last year and another 30 starts so that hurts as well and then danny jansen that doesn't just hurt you in your lineup where danny jansen was finally coming out of like the slumber he had been on offensively essentially since he hit the big leagues yeah. that affects Everybody on your pitching staff, every one of your starters, everyone in your bullpen. Imagine being Yusei Kikuchi and working on all these adjustments all spring and days before your big league debut. You've been working with Danny Jansen all spring long, and now you got to throw to Tyler Heineman, who you've never thrown to before in your life. You're not in the best position to succeed at that point. So these are really, really crucial and critical injuries to the Blue Jays right now. Yeah, without a doubt. And I, I the, the the part is is. I mean, I guess you can't tell, but is the short spring a re- like we've gone through these tight seasons, these short springs, and I feel like we're in another one of those seasons again where it is going to be. Listen, 162 is always survival of the fittest, but it feels like the last three, it has been almost like more than survival of the fittest. It is just survive and advance as best you can. Like, are we in another are we in for another season like this? It's tough to say because we just don't have that much precedent for springs like this, but we can. 30 and 31? Like. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, look, the Blue Jays are about to play 20 games in 20 days. That is the maximum allowable under the CBA. You're not allowed to play 21 and 21. So they are being pushed as far as they can under the collective bargaining agreement. And yeah, I mean, you can look back to 2020 and injury prevalence was through the roof coming off of that shortened spring. And look, it's not just the Blue Jays. It's teams across baseball that are seeing all kinds of soft tissue injuries cropping up right now. So it's hard to say it's not 
related. It's interesting to look at a guy like Hunjin Ryu, who had a super, not just unideal spring, but unideal off-season. His travel getting into uh, the United States was all messed up. He had COVID in February. I mean, he had all kinds of things disrupting his routines and his rhythms, so it almost wasn't a surprise to see him not get off to the best start. And now he seems to be dealing with like a bit of a mysterious injury situation. It's being called inflammation. Well, every pitcher in MLB right now is dealing with inflammation tim right now you're dealing with inflammation we all have inflammation so like what does that mean it could possibly just be a bit of a dead arm period that we typically see pitchers go through right around now in their spring training buildup. maybe hunjin reuse is going through that in season maybe it's something more serious we don't know but yeah you, you can look to this uh, abbreviated yeah. spring training and say yeah, this is clearly having an impact across the game when i saw that hyunjin ryu uh, diagnosis or what it was listed as. I thought to myself, that could be something serious or that could be we just need to take a break on this guy a couple times through the order because we haven't seen him be himself for a while now. That said, I, I was trying not to go small sample size on Hyunjin Ryu, so I was going back to last year. Uh, we just showed the stats. His ERA, highest in the major leagues over that time, over eight. Um, Alec Manoa is quickly turning into everything you thought he could be. And like, dare I say, ace of the staff, Arden Zwelling? That's a little early for me on a staff with Jose Brios and Kevin Gosman on it. But uh, Alec Manoa is developing at an absolutely rapid rate before our eyes at the major league level it's something to watch right and it's there are all those intangible things right like the fearlessness and the composure and the poise the metal that he has on the mound but i you can also just dive into the way he's using his pitches and be like yeah this guy's clearly working really hard to continue to improve and to use his two-seamer more effectively um to develop a change-up that he barely threw at all last season and now all of a sudden is a weapon for him didn't have it in that start on the weekend, but that start on the weekend also like a really good example of how when he maybe doesn't have one of his out pitches, when he's a little bit scattering, scattery with his fastball, he can still get big league hitters out and he can still turn over a lineup. Like, is that not the hallmark of a good starter? Because you're not always going to have your best stuff when you take the mound. I think it was Mark Burley who said, like, look, I make 33 starts a year. In 11 of them, I have awesome stuff. In 11 of them, I have okay stuff. And in 11 of them, I have poo stuff. And I need to find a way to continue getting outs when I have the, and he didn't say poo, stuff. Right. So that like that's kind of the hallmark of a good starter. And Alec Manoa is showing that even when he doesn't exactly have his most consistent command control of his pitches when maybe he doesn't have his changeup. He can still throw a ton of sliders, work backwards, sequence differently, and find a way to get outs. That's huge at his age. All right, one of the things I like about Arden Zwelling is that you're not afraid of an opinion, and you're one of those forward-thinking kids in the game that I kind of seem to gravitate towards, even though I disagree with half of the stuff that you say. <laughs> but I, can, I enjoy the conversations. I was never a robot umpire guy. Over the last little while, I'm starting to move on this. Like, I feel like Jeff Nelson grabbed me by the hand and walked me slowly towards robot umpires. Like, where are you on this? And what we saw over the weekend, like, that was less than competent. Oh, absolutely. That was horrendous. I mean, Jeff Nelson is routinely one of the poorest ball strike judgments uh, umpires in, in baseball. That was an exceptionally 
poor day. Like you expect from your MLB umpire something around 94, 95% accuracy. Right. And Jeff Nelson was like 85% accuracy on that day. So like your eyes were not deceiving you. He was really, really bad. And I think, you know, I wonder if your general trend towards ABS, the automated ball strike system, is that it's just getting harder and harder to yeah. umpire at the big league level. We talk about how much harder it's getting to hit in the majors. It's getting harder for the same reasons that's getting harder yeah, velocity, to hit. Velocity, spin rates, yeah, all of that. Right? Yeah. The stuff is harder. It is moving more. Like you were trying to make immediate judgments on the location of this little rock that is moving harder than, you know, faster than ever, unpredictably moving within this variable imaginary box in real time. It's a really hard thing to do. But the flip side of that is, and why I'm probably sort of more middle of the road on this, yeah. is that the automated ball strike system is not perfect. <laughs> um, if people who have been paying attention to the minor leagues will know that this thing is still a work in progress. Like, it's not ready for prime time just yet. I've talked to pitchers who throw big looping curveballs who say they can throw like a like a slow pitch type of pitch like a right. curveball that bounces on the plate but still strikes the like ticks the back end of right. that automated strike zone there are guys who throw big sweeping sliders and the slider might come in in the other batter's box and skin atop the zone but just tick enough of it and to the bare eye it's not a strike. Nobody would call it a strike, but by the rule of that box and of the track man system, it caught enough of the zone to activate the strike call because it's literally just going by what the box is in practice. Right. The strike zone is called by umpires. It's more of an oval and there is like some judgment in there. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we bring ABS to the majors, you are still going to see some very like suspiciously judged calls it's just going to be in a different way. Like it's going to be pitches that to your eye, you will say those are balls that get ruled strikes under the robo system. Uh, out, of, out of time here, but 10 years, will we have automated ball strike system? Oh, five years, maybe five, three, five years. maybe two. Honestly, it's coming quickly. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's coming. It's unbelievable. And I honestly, I like the umpires. I think human error is part of every game. And, if they're not better, it's going to come real quick. Arden, always appreciate uh, your candor, my friend. Be well, man. Take it easy. You too. And uh, don't look out the window because I heard it's snowing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Don't want to talk about it. Arden's dwelling in Toronto with a dislocated finger that he is doing exercises <laughs> the two with of you. and looking out the window and seeing snow. Time for break. When we come back, new old Monday tradition plays of the week. We'll try and put a smile on your face, even if it is snowing where you live in Canada. Tim and friends, back after this. Always cool, calm, and collected. Jesse Rubinoff, Tim McAuliffe, and listen, we don't get up for a lot of things, but we get up for the plays of the week. Time now on your Monday for the plays of the week. Let's get jacked up. Listen. Columbus known for their cannons, but this is something else oh, right here. Oh, those are guns. Welcome to the gun show, baby. I think he's proud of it. <laughs> I think so. Last couple of years team. have been really tough for everybody, but it looks like Gritty has been hit the hardest. <laughs> oh, that's so mean. <laughs> what? Oh, hey, Jesse, will the Leafs win a playoff round this year? Yeah. So you're telling me there's a chance. Nice, yeah. So you're te- That's Lauren Holly. She was in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Very good. Swanson, Samsonite, Samsonoff, whatever. 
robs Ooh. William Nylander. Ooh. I mean, I, I was a goalie. There's so much luck involved in that. So much luck. But and, still great. And still skill. Great. Yeah, no, yeah, no hand I, know eye, hand I got you. This is a lot Ooh. of skill. This is Alex Lafreniere. I mean, it is Dylan Larkin, but still. How about this? Uh, Patrick Kane, branked ankles in hockey. Like, it's a that's, molded boot, Jesse. That's so vintage. You know how hard it is to break ankles in hockey? Uh, Marshawn Lynch used to breaking ankles and apparently <laughs> doing donuts on the Zamboni. Oh, this guy is just, he's content all the time. Why, so why does that look familiar? Because he's done it before. <laughs> Here's him as a student at Cal. <laughs> This Almost was, killing this people. This one was very reckless. Oh, Zamboni, yeah. at least there was nobody on the ice. Oh, that one yeah. was reckless. Uh, Panthers are a wagon these days. Check yeah, out this. That's that's just and the finish call. Chuckles for 60. Chuckles for 60, Jesse. <laughs> I had it on my script. Nice. Chuckles there for 60. Uh, speaking of Chuckles for 60, Brett Phillips. The best. <laughs> he might be the most likable guy yeah. in baseball right Get now. Get him on the Jays. New York, Baltimore, Yankees struggling, thanks in part, Ryan McKenna. How about this? I mean, a rather circuitous route, but he got there. A nice play for the Baltimore Orioles. Yes. Uh, Astros, Mariners. Michael Brantley, left center field. Me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Oh. Yeah, I love that it's good. diving catch highlight season. Again. Yeah, it is. It's nice. Raise White Sox. How about jumping catch highlight season? Thought it was gone. Pimping the home run. No, he pimped it. He Josh Lowe. Ooh. Goes high. Oh, that to was. Bring it back. Yeah, no, you took that one away. Nationals, oh, Pirates, and. Oop. Look at <laughs> This play was nuts. <laughs> right in the Alcides Escobars. <laughs> Surprised it doesn't have more often. And now that we know that he's okay, we can all laugh. Yeah. Which popcorn ready? This is seven on seven fan controlled football league and down the time. But Terrell Owens! What are we doing? With here? his first seven on seven Zappers touchdown. What are we doing? And apparently some integration there with the progressive auto insurance Yikes. form. Uh, <laughs> T.O. would love this, Sally. Coventry City, Birmingham City. Callum O'Hare with a finish, and he finds sunglasses yeah, on the ground, good. picks them up, and puts them on. There, yeah, that, I would do that. That's something would I would you? do if I swear again. How about this? Uh, Forge Cavalry CPL, look out. Screamer, as they say. That is Alessandro Hojabrepour with the goal. Nice so that's five times fast. Yeah, very impressive. I think the last name's Persian, so Ooh. I got those down pat. Uh, this is Carl Anthony Towns. I married a Persian for those who don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, other people are just going, that guy's white. What the hell is he dying about? Uh, Mets, Celtics, Kyrie turns out This look is nice. This was like pre-Kyrie going uh, going off. Yeah. Yeah. That turn. Ending of this one, though, was the maybe play of the weekend. Jalen Brown kicks it out. Smart fakes. Inside. Tatum spins and he puts it in. Was that the ascension? Was that the one we'll look back at and say that was the start of Jason? You, you looked at me like you were going to do something. I was going to spin around you. Yeah, I was going to spin around you. But, but then you went like, halfway. Yeah. And I didn't want to do the full thing. I don't have that kind of footwork. You know, might be a rolled ankle. Oh, which? Oh! 
Look at that. That was, Ooh, that was quick. Ever. Faster oh my, than Jason that Tatum. like Sid Sixero. After the break, we'll head to Philly as the short-handed <laughs> Raptors try and claw back even against the Sixers. What can Nick Nurse come up with? By the way, I landed a hip check on Jesse. I think I heard something. He threw out a knee. Scotty Barnes out. We'll check in with Amy Otterbert live from the court in Philly next for all the latest on the Raptors and Sixers. How's the knee? In pain. With the ice? And now, time for Real Sports Talk with Jim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Jesse Rubinoff is playing the drums. We're back here for hour number two. Full hour, Sportsnet and 360. No one is chopping into our game today. PJ Stock will uh, join me ahead of six games in the NHL tonight. And uh, maybe a discussion about a fascinating Hart Trophy race. Plus, Amy Otterbert from Philly is a Raptors try and even up their series with the Sixers, and they'll have to do so shorthanded. That's right, the task looks large for the Raptors after a blowout loss in Game 1 and a bunch of key injuries. Nick Nurse just about to meet with the media for his pregame availability. We'll see if we get any further updates from what we heard this morning, but what we saw, Scotty Barnes in a walking boot and Nick Nurse this morning didn't seem good for the Raptors. Scotty's out. Um, uh, Gary is not here for shoot around. He's uh, still doubtful. Um, and Thad is, um, I mean, he's got some damage there in his thumb. They are going to try to tape him up here today and see what it looks like here at shoot around, but I would imagine he's doubtful too. The ability to, to get to your own identity, uh, scrambling on defense and ball hockey and that kind of stuff. Does that matter who plays, or is that just a, a team-wide kind of thing you need to get to? Well, I think it's, you're right, we got to get to our identity. Whoever steps on the floor should be able to go out there and do it. But listen, it matters who plays in these games, that's for sure, right? It, it certainly matters. We've been through adversity as a team, um, and, and we definitely show that we can bounce back, and, and, and I think that, again, we can figure it out. And um, I feel like if there's a team that can do it, it's us, so... Um, obviously, we want those guys back as soon as possible, you know, whenever they can come back. So, um, but, but, yeah, next man up mentality, just go out there um, and, 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 you know, hostile environment. But, but hey, we, we can do it. This is live television. We are still waiting for Nick Nurse to hit the podium in mere moments from now. We will give you any update as soon as it becomes available to us. we got eyes and ears on it. Amy Otterbert will join us from Philly in just a couple minutes with more. To hockey And it's Monday, which means Rogers Hometown Hockey comes your way on Sportsnet. 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific start from Campbell River, B.C., followed by a little double dip. It starts with the Flames in Calgary to face the Blackhawks. Flames coming off a 9-1 win over the Coyotes on Saturday and face the Chicago team, who's won only once in their past 10 games. Johnny Gaudreau very much in the Hart Trophy conversation. One point shy of 600 for his career. Well, Matthew Kachuk looks for goal number 40 on the season tonight as the Flames close in on clinching the division. The Canucks, on the other hand, host the Stars having won 
five straight and just kind of sort of staying in the playoff combination conversation excuse me they get Brock Besser back tonight after he missed the past five games Canucks will also be celebrating their second annual gender equality game at Rogers Arena you can see it 1030 Eastern 730 local on Sportsnet the Nuts enter the night six points back of the Kings for third in the Pacific but have two games in hand while they trail Vegas by three points with one game in hand here's Bruce Boudreau on the playoff chase we just want to get in but we know we have to win you know I mean at least six of the next seven so that's uh, that's the way it's looking right now. It's it's like a turtle. Like it's not like a the hare right now, where you're all of a sudden you just jump up. It's a, a point here, a point there, and you know these next two games are. Uh, if we were ever to be successful, all of a sudden we get right into the pack. Then it becomes uh, really interesting. It could be really interesting. By the way, Patriots Day, which means Boston's playing early, 11 a.m. start. Top of the first, Kyle Garlic. Sends one deep. He's kooky, he's nutty, he's crazy, not really, he's just off the wall. Initially, it looks like a double, but upon review, it's off the top of the wall, which means it's actually a home run. 2 nothing Twins, top of the third, it's the fourth tenor, Jorge Polanco, who delivers over the monster. Another two-run bomb. He had four RBI on the day. 4 nothing Twinkies, bottom four. Boston trying to mount somewhat of a comeback. Devers down the line, Miguel Sano. Diving, showing off that glove, a little toss to first. And on this great defense means the Twinkies win. 8-3 the final. Red Sox hosting the Jays for three starting tomorrow. This is game one. Philadelphia, Toronto, Embiid. Count it. And the foul. They have really flipped the switch on the Raptors. Big stage. They've struggled here early on. Maxi. Deep three. Oh, my. What a game one for Maxi Barnes is down. Scotty grabbing his left foot. Just hate to see this. The brilliant rookie. Sixers down the Raptors by 20. Bottom one, they dominated Toronto. They were going to try to bully us right off the floor to see if we'll go away. Now we're going to find out if we will or not. That's one of the interesting parts of game two, but there are a lot of interesting parts, including who will go and who won't. Let's go to Wells Fargo Center. And Amy Otterbert, who joins us now courtside. Welcome back to the show, Amy. Thanks so much for doing this. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm here. I wish I could suit up. I like to throw some hits. Uh, well, I, like, I, I take I, six fouls. I use all six of mine. <laughs> I was just going to say, I know you were good for five fouls at the University of Miami. Uh, you get one more in this league. And uh, it seemed like the Raptors needed a few of those fouls. We'll get into actual matchups in a flash. But we knew that Scotty Barnes was out. What's the latest on Gary Trent Jr. and Thad Young? Yeah, both of these guys are game-time decisions. Thaddeus Young, we know he sprained that left thumb. Uh, he did tape it up in shoot-around today. And uh, talking about six fouls, I think that's one of the most important things. He's a big body that can really try to bang up with Joel Embiid. And so that might be pretty important for the Raptors. And Gary Trent also, now game-time decision, was not at shoot-around this morning. And Nick Nurse just moments ago said he's still very sick. I have not seen him here yet. 
Uh, but so that'll be a game time decision as well. Just me, or did it seem like at the morning shoot around, uh, we revealed that one, Scotty Barnes had a walking boot, and two, Nick Nurse was exhausted. Like, he looked like he had been pouring over game tape since game one. Well, yeah, a lot of things changed yeah. just within a couple seconds with Scotty's ankle there, and it. It's actually interesting. It looked like he, take, he did take the boot off and was walking around taped up with a shoe on. That being said, I mean, we saw it. And, and when you play the game of basketball, anyone who's had a bad sprain, you know, you're, you're not just running up and down. You're planning, you're cutting, it's lateral. So I don't anticipate seeing him soon. How, how big a blow is that to the Raptors? I mean, I said off the top that I thought that Raptor fans can't lose sight of, no matter how this turns out, uh, what Scotty did in game one. Yeah, two assists away from a triple-double when he had to lead the game, and that was about with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. Tremendous, and when Fred took those two fouls early, it really changed the dynamic defensively, especially in how aggressive everyone was being. But Scotty Barnes, he was going up against. These are these are stars on Philadelphia. James Harden, Joel Embiid, he can throw. We saw what Tyrese Maxey did. And Scotty Barnes, fearless, confident, but also he never forces uh, his teammates trust him to make the right decisions. It's been absolutely remarkable to watch him go this year. So what do they do without him? I mean, this is this, you're going to need a Sherpa to climb out of this hole. The, 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 the Sixers dominated game one, and you just lost one of your better players. Right. I think it's important to remember, suiting up for the Raptors tonight is still a Fred Van Vliet, is still a Pascal Siakam, is still an OG Ananomi and company. And if Precious and Chris can come in and play the way that they had been playing for most of the end of the season here. they got to believe they can compete. Let's not forget, the Raptors played without Pascal to start the season. OG has not been in the lineup a whole lot. Fred was managing a sore knee. They are confident that they can play with the next man up, but your margin of error, you thought it was small on Saturday night? Here we go. I mean, yeah. you've really got to be just brilliant on both ends of the court. Uh, the one other thing that i got to bring up here is I thought it was such a bad omen when... Fred Van Vliet picks up a foul in the first 10 seconds of the game. The Raptors are really lobbying here, aren't they, for the referees to let this go a little bit because they need to play on that edge. Well, you know which one was worse, Tim? I thought it was the second one. It was 58 seconds into the game, two quick fouls. And, it, again, it changes the way that the Raptors – and I think that's what happened. I thought it was they were just a little split second late because Fred couldn't be as aggressive. So while do I help, do I stay, do I stunt? And they got caught on a lot of those rotations. And the physicality, yes. I don't think anyone's going to argue that Philadelphia punched first. They certainly did. Mm-hmm. We saw Joel Embiid, and I don't hate it because I can't say that I've never done that back in the day. <laughs> you know, those are dirty games. But, I mean, I, I do believe that the Toronto Raptors are tough. We know their leader in Fred Van Vliet. He's a tough guy. He's a competitor. And I just I, I believe in the first couple minutes of this game we're going to see something here. I don't know if uh, fools seldom differ or great minds think alike here, Amy, but – I was saying off the top, like, Joel Embiid is sneaky, dirty, and cheap, and I respect it. Well, he gets away with it. Yeah. Why would he change? Uh, a couple of those shots were above the head, and you did hear uh, Nick Nurse just in his pregame press conference. I, I believe he did kind of say, hey, those things should be reviewed. Uh, the one that really, I would say, I found really frustrating was Ken Burches, because then when Ken got up yeah. and then he got called on the rebounding, rebounding foul on the other end of the court, he had the inside position. That's just physical, tough basketball. So it's just consistency. I don't need to stand on this soapbox. It's physical. You can't complain, oh, I got hit. you got to punch back and next possession. 
Michael Grange tweeting uh, from the Nick Nurse uh, news conference is going on right now as you and I speak. Uh, this is live television. I hope they have the guts to at least stop the game and review that. Nick Nurse doing some tone setting with the referees after he feels his team got knocked around a bit in game one. Like, here, here's the truth. And listen, I'm going to talk about what I think the Sixers did really well in a flash. I thought they outplayed Toronto in almost every way, shape, or form in game one. But you can't have the cake and eat it too, right? Like, you can't call the ticky-tack hand-check fouls and then let some of the tougher, you know, bigger fouls just kind of go by the wayside. Yeah, that's why I say consistency, right? Yeah. Just, and especially those two quick ones on Fred. The, the one in particular was a touch foul, and there wasn't a whole lot of contact, and you're way above the three-point line, and it's the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, I don't – you go into game two, and you can't let that really affect you too much, right? Like, you, you have to go play your game, and that was the one thing the Raptors – they lost in that game was, was their identity. The offensive rebounding, they lost that second-chance column 17-7. to They're one of the best teams in the NBA of doing that, the fast break. They score off turnovers. That's what they're predicated on. And Philadelphia had three turnovers on the whole game. And so getting back to their brand of basketball and just not getting caught up in the physicality as much as you can avoid it. Well, you talk about those three turnovers. And that's what I don't I feel like there are a lot of Raptor fans pointing to the injuries and not focusing enough on the fact that the Sixers ate the Raptors lunch. Right. Like they everything the Raptors do well, the Sixers did better in game one. Like there is some big time credit to Doc Rivers and his staff. Yeah, and I think you got to give it to James Harden, too. 14 of their 29 assists. Yeah. I mean, the guy came to play. Tyrese Maxey. This is why Philadelphia finished top four in the East, because they're good. Like, they're a good basketball team, and they hit their shots, and they had rhythm, and their ball movement was great. I would say for Toronto, they have to believe that if they can get Philadelphia on their heels a little bit, because that's the one thing that you do question with Philadelphia, is the chemistry or the ability to respond. They didn't get too much resistance in game one, right? So so what is Philadelphia going to look like when they get punched first or when things aren't going good for them? And if you're Toronto, you certainly want to play your disruptive, guys call it annoying, type of basketball. And Yeah, it's, it's not easy, but you, you need to do it. Absolutely required. Uh, how much of that is the matchup between Fred Van Vliet and the guy we're seeing warm up right now, Tyrese Maxey? Wow. Yeah. When you talk about setting the tone, because Tyrese Maxey, he just he went off. And I, I remember watching him in St. Catharines when he was 18 years old. And, I mean, playing in front of Roy, Roy Williams and, and playing really good. He just lives for these moments. So, we know Fred's got to get physical. Of course, again, those two quick fouls can't stress how that really changed the rhythm of the game. Uh, I imagine Fred's going to take that a little bit personal. We, we know we know he's going to come out, and, and I'm really looking forward to see that matchup. When you take away Fred's physicality, th- that means a little bit more than, like, listen, he, he's not the greatest athlete on the floor. He does it with smarts. He does it with guile. He does it with tenacity. And I've never seen a dude rip at the ball as well. Well, maybe Kyle Lowry uh, rip at the ball as well as Fred Van Vliet. But when he gets into foul trouble, that really nullifies a lot of his game, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, and I asked him about that just because it was so early into the game, too. But he's experienced, he's a veteran, and, and so you got to adjust a little bit, right? I mean, it's just, it is part of the game. Uh, it's certainly nice to sort of start off fresh tonight again, right? He's got six again, so that's good. But I imagine that Tyrese Maxey, pretty confident, is going to look to get that first step on him because he is so explosive and quick. And, uh, and he, well, he won that battle on Saturday night. The, the, the game plan here for the Raptors, and I know you're not, 
uh, privy to a lot of the adjustments. But when you're trying to gauge what you might see from Nick Nurse, who, let's be honest, has made his name in the NBA for being able to adjust on the fly and go with things that other people don't even think of, how much of that banks on, listen, they did a pretty good job on Harden and more specifically Joel Embiid. How much of that banks upon Maxi and Tobias Harris just not doing what they did in game one? Well, they hit, and that's it, right? You hope they maybe don't come out as hot. I mean, and the crowd, I mean, the, the environment here on Saturday, they found the rhythm and they didn't lose it. I would say uh, the quicker recovery. You saw a little bit more of reactivity rather than proactivity on the defensive end, and it's hard. Again, you double down and you throw bodies at Joel, but recovering out and being present on the catch. I think with Toronto, they're so long that they can dig down or they can throw a body and they don't actually have to be all the way there because they have really long arms and really long legs to recover. So uh, I'd say that's probably been something you're going to look to clean up tonight, just playing those gaps a little bit better and being present on the catch. All right, let me just ask you one more, and it's a, I think it might hit close to home. I know you played a traditional five or a traditional post when you were playing university basketball. I know Masai Ujiri is in love with um, the six foot nine versatile players, but might the Raptors in this matchup against Joel Embiid uh, need one of those traditional fives to just lean on Joel Embiid? Do they need it, Tim? I mean, they did pretty good this season, right, against him, and they have. Uh, would they like one of those guys? Again, bang up, use those six fouls, absolutely. But I'm still, I have a lot of faith in the way that this roster has been constructed because they're unlike any other team with the way they're able to throw those six, eight guys. Uh, so, I mean, if, if, if Marcus all walked in the gym, I don't think anyone would be too mad, but he's not. And I think we got to have faith in... Precious Achua in Chris Boucher to go out there and continue to, to do their thing. Uh, where the love, yo, it is the city of brotherly love. And even though I can hear the lyrics in the background, I know Philly will be another hostile environment uh, for the Raptors in game two. Amy, always appreciate you dropping by and doing this. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Uh, there is Amy Otterbert live from the court getting information relayed to her through the earpiece people mm-hmm. watching the nurse presser love it appreciate it and uh this one feels like a raptors need to get back to raptors basketball what's raptors basketball i'll give you one of the keys just three turnovers for the sixers in game number one raptors were two and six when they forced less than nine turnovers in a game mm-hmm. they gotta get them in that speed game they gotta force turnovers somehow fight and claw to get that Pound the floor. Play some D. That's fake D. Let's go. That's Patrick Beverly, <laughs> Steve Wojciechowski. Performative. D. That's performative D. Performative D. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, you that. hit a nerve with me. I was the wrong. I'm sorry. I'm the wrong guy to say that to. You like it? March Madness hitting the I floor. I hated Duke <laughs> when Steve Wojciechowski invented that ish. And Patrick <laughs> Beverly, just play D. Right, Time right. for a break. We'll get to some of your feedback and thoughts on the Raptors. Plus, tee you up for a big night on the ice. And we'll do it. Oh, my goodness. Look at the snow at Jurassic Park that's, live. That's live. That's live. That's not. It's life. April 18th, yeah. Mother Nature. Oh, my goodness. Gosh, six. Still to come on this edition of Tim and Friends, ahead of a double dip on Rogers' hometown hockey, PJ Stock will join me. We'll discuss the Hart Trophy and 
fines for throwing up middle digits and other things in and around the NHL. All coming up with PJ Stock. One of the other conversations we got into, because of the umpiring on Saturday between the Jays and the A's, which was, let's, yeah, I was going to say, less than competent, but yeah. Uh, that is also known as horrendous, or as I like to say, herocious, which is half horrendous, half atrocious. That's it. I might use that. It's herocious. Yeah, I might start using that. And that's a different level. It's it's even lower than horrendous. Yeah. It's even lower than atrocious. You're putting the two together and coming up with one. But people weighed in because I thought Jeff Nelson, who was the umpire in that game, may be leading me and others by the hand to robot umpires. Yeah, so we asked uh, the audience, do you for want robot umps in Major League Baseball? And it's for, for balls and strikes uh, primarily, obviously. And 65.2% say yes. I'm actually a little bit surprised by yeah, that. I would have thought it would have been a more resounding yes, maybe like 80, oh, no, I, thought, I thought it was going to be 50. I Did think you? there's some recency bias here, too. So, yeah. I mean, let's get into some of the, some of the responses because, I mean, <laughs> the recency bias is real. Even Dan Schulman, when... There was the one pitch to Guriel, and he was just like, oh, my goodness. And, like, he doesn't react no, he doesn't do that like either. that ever. So I was well, there is Charlie Montoyo yes. as I put my yes. hand very in the screen. Point. Like, Charlie Montoyo very lost his yeah. ish, and he's been very quiet the entire time. Yeah. There have been a few Jays fans that have wanted to see that a couple of times. They got it they on got the weekend. It. They got it. Uh, okay, so Trace says, I was on the hell no side for the longest time, and then I saw the absolutely atrocious umpiring the past few games and yeah it's now really affecting the game in a bad way okay there's absolutely no doubt it affected uh, chase sounds like me the game. yeah dave says everyone wants offense inconsistent umps lead to batters confused with the strike zone yeah. then swinging at pitches off the plate reducing offense the technology right. is right on the screen every pitch why not use it balls and strikes only so funny though like the technology is on the screen, but that's not what they're using for I was just, that, robot. That's why I grabbed strikes. that tweet because, like, why can't they just use that? There, uh, I guess it's different technology. I guess the, but. the same. Um, listen, to suggest that that is foolproof too has its flaws. Yes, that's true. Right. Yeah, that's true. Like where it's placed, who places it, all those things. Yeah. Sometimes you're different real- for broadcasts and Correct. sort of things. So, Correct. Yeah. Good point. Uh, Dano says, if they keep umps, make them address the media and or have them look at their calls mid-innings so they can adjust their horrendous strike zones. That is a fantastic point, I thought. There is, a, there is the pool reporter. That's why we know the name <laughs> pool reporter. Oftentimes an umpire will speak to a pool reporter. Rarely. As for the horrendous, the the managers and teams let the umpires know and have conversations even though they're not supposed to. But they let them know, like, hey man, that's three inches off the plate yeah. according to pitch tracks or whatever the hell they're using in and around their spot. They, they know when they're off and they just try and keep it consistent. So they're, cho- they're electing not to alter the strike zone over the course of the game. Which is why the outside to the right-handed batters was the problem yeah. with both teams on Saturday. You could make a case that it would be worse if they changed it mid-game. Like, if he stops calling that a strike in the middle of the game when he's called it literally 14 times, which is what the called strikes were for the Jays on Saturday. But that outside pitch to a right-handed batter is the toughest to hit. 
Yes. Right? Like, you're not looking to hit right. many of those, regardless of whether it's in the strike zone or not. Uh, another Dano writes in and says, nope, human error is part of the game. I played all my life so I can get hella frustrated at calls when I'm pitching or hitting, but it's part of the game. Consistency is what matters. Uh, Josh says, I was super against it, but the last thing I want to be doing the next day is checking ump analysis <laughs> yes. to see how many runs Very the good. ump cost the team. Ump, ump analysis yes. is the worst thing that ever yeah, happened to umpires, <laughs> so bad. period. Yeah, they should uh, lobby to get it taken down, for sure. Uh, Sandra says, no, I want human umpires to do their jobs. I, I wish Sandra had added a bleeping in there. <laughs> no, I want human umpires to do their bleeping job. Yeah. But this is... This is where we're at. Are the umpires equipped to keep up with the modern-day pitcher throwing, like, 95-plus, 100-plus with movement? Is that what's causing the umpires to be less than adequate at their job? I think if you uh, got them in a candid moment, they'd probably admit that it's becoming more difficult. I mean, how could it not be? That they every pitcher now it seems, especially out of the bullpen, every single guy seems like they throw a hundred plus now. Like it's ridiculous, and with movement, like how are you supposed to, how are you supposed to call that? That's hard. Well, there are guys that are doing it. Yeah, yeah. I take ninety five percent. Yeah, right. Like I take ninety two percent. Some guy had uh, 98 percent in the Yankees Orioles game last night. Right. So like I, there are guys that are doing it mm-hmm. and others that aren't. Uh, Jason wrote to me. And I thought he expressed my own thoughts better than I could. So I'm just going to read it. The vulnerability of umpire's eyesight is the spice that imbues the game with its critical spark among fans. Umps are at the mercy of the subconscious fear being jeered by fans in the dark art of glove framing by the catcher. Isn't it more fascinating than a computer radar box? I agree. They just have to be competent. Time for a break. When we come back, Shakespeare. PJ Stock helps us set up the night in the NHL. Speaking of Shakespeare, here comes PJ. Who <laughs> <laughs> wasn't exactly known for his his words, more his fists uh, and his goal scoring. We'll talk to him coming up next. We'll discuss the Hart Trophy. We'll discuss uh, a double dip on hometown hockey. PJ Stock is next. I'm not saying he isn't thoughtful. He's very thoughtful. <laughs> Wordsmith. That's why we have him coming on. When I'm on the ice, I just feel like I'm getting away from all the world's problems. I just feel so free. showed up to ask for a little help. And once I got involved in my career and about surprise what it was, it's pretty easy to stick around. The Washington Capitals are Stanley Cup champions. I want to go to there. That looks very nice. Welcome back. Rogers Hometown Hockey coming to you from Kyle Bukoskis' hometown, Campbell River, B.C. Tonight, Ron Atara will be on the air, 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific on Sportsnet, followed by a doubleheader. Flames and Hawks from Chicago, then a huge one for the Canucks. 
basically do or die as they host the Stars in Vancouver with playoff hopes. A glimmer. A glimmer in their eyes. Uh, speaking of a glimmer in my eye, PJ Stock joins me now from his home uh, right beside the. Is that a Cheers bar? Like, is that a direct it's a, reference? It's a Monday <laughs> afternoon. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm in my bar. I wish I could join you. I wish I could join How are things, man? Oh, uh, great. Great. Good. I mean, I think we're getting. You guys have the snow. I think we're getting it tomorrow. So it's, I mean, I mean, it's only April. <laughs> it's only April so, 18th. Are you a skier? I am, but I, you know what's funny? I'm a, no, yeah, I'm not. I love I love the idea of skiing. Right. I don't necessarily love skiing. I I'm a, I can do four hours is more than enough skiing. I love the idea of skiing, but then the apres ski is actually my. Uh, <laughs> right. I was going to say. I, I, I excel at that. Hence. Right. Hence the bar. Hence the bar. I, I I understood the apres ski. Those are the only people though that I will accept that I don't mind the snow in April. Like if you're a big skier, you love the fact that there's still snow. Maybe there's still a base on whatever mountain that you ski at. I don't know if it's Mont Tremblant where you are right now. Oh, that's and you, very French. Did you like that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was I was getting ready because we're gonna have a Hart Trophy conversation, Monsieur yeah. Stock. And okay. I said at the start of the show. With all due respect to Jonathan Huberdeau, oui, I think that it's Johnny Gaudreau, Connor McDavid, and Austin Matthews as my three finalists. I will throw a caveat in there. I think if Dreisaitl passes Matthews for the Rocket, I may change my thought on that. Yeah, I think this is a tough one, a real tough one uh, this year. Um I'm stuck on the McDavid, McDavid, or I mean, he's got what 110, and I think right behind him he's got 105. They're two on the same team. They've won it a couple of years in a row. Uh, I love the fact that you said Johnny Hockey. Um, the one number that pops out on him is he's plus 59. Yeah. Now Johnny Gaudreau is that's that's plus 59. That's that's ridiculous. That's a number that just I know. A lot of times we just look at points, but it is a lot of it, it is the value to your team. Igor Shosturkin with the Rangers has been ridiculous this year. When Carey Price won the award, I think in 2014, um, the numbers are almost the exact same. But then there's so many. It, it's such a hard award right now because he's so important to his team, but he only plays 50 games at 50 games, I think, for the year. So you know, there's a he's not playing every night. Um, but again, Carey Price did win this. Johnny Hockey, as you're showing him, at 50, plus 59. Um, and then again, you know, like Huberto, uh, you know, Florida's been a team for me every year that I keep thinking they're a little bit like Winnipeg. I keep thinking they're, they're, they're going to make a run. They're going to make a run, and they always upset me. This year, they're making a run, and they're the best team in hockey, one of the best teams in hockey. And it's because of the emergence of Huber leading all players and, i sorry, breaking records as left wingers for passing the puck. But yeah, it's 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 hard. I, I hit you with the easy stuff right off the top, eh, PJ. Yeah, it's because it's, <laughs> it's it's a lot of times. Are you good because of the people around you? Are you a recipient of the success because of you know? I think Roman Yossi, what he's doing this year in Nashville, if they sneak into the playoffs, is is yeah. is I think that's my winner. And I think it's hard to compare every position, but I like to compare the position to actually where they are on the hierarchy of a team and the importance of that person and are you a recipient sometimes of you know are you are you on the bus or are you the driver of the bus right and i think a lot of those other guys are kind of they take turns yeah 
but Yossi's been just this is an amazing story this yeah. year. And I, 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 a team that gets forgot about a little bit. Nashville in the middle. We always do the East Coast and the West Coast. The middle teams get forgotten about a little. And I think what he's doing is amazing. Here, here's the thing. I, I know that this is a narrative-driven trophy. I know the fact that Drysaddle and McDavid are already having heart trophies right. um, plays a factor in this. And I thought for a while Austin Matthews was going to win this award. Then he goes a little bit cold. And he misses the game. I think if he gets to 60 and he wins the Rocket Richard, he's going to win the Hart Trophy because the narrative will fit. That team, the goaltending, the defense struggled when he got hot and had his 50 and 50. They absolutely positively needed the 50 and 50. I will say I think Marner gets slept on way too much because he is an elite level player that plays with him. But I do think that the narrative will give it to Matthews if he wins Rocket and gets to 60. And that comes back to the debate that we just had because you just you just mentioned a guy that's having another. They have six guys over 60 points. So I think six guys, right? Uh, and, And Listen, he's been unbelievable. I think, you know, I go back to when he cross-checked, uh, oh, I forget who he cross-checked in, in the face, but yeah. Darlene, it was so wrong. But it was a different Matthews for me. And, right. and I don't encourage that whatsoever, but he has that spark that I think the team's been missing for, for a few years. Um, he plays on an, an elite power play. Uh, he's been a lot better in the 200-foot game. I, again, he is Toronto, so he's over-dissected sometimes and over-congratulated because that's what we do. Right. And that's why I said the Roman Yossi in Nashville, we kind of forget about him sometimes. And Roman Yossi's got 88 points, plus 17. Yeah. 80, 88 points as a defenseman. Doesn't have the players around him that are that is helping him get no disrespect to those players. He doesn't have a, maybe a Marner there. You know, John Tavares, people in Toronto aren't always happy. He's still a point-of-game point of guy, and he insulates that top six so and takes a lot of important face off they have a lot of important people there but if he gets to 60 and i think if he gets if he wins the goal scoring award i think he might just get that yeah. would the nhl love to have someone from toronto win the mvp <laughs> it doesn't happen <laughs> it doesn't happen pj I think I think they would. I yeah. think I think what Austin Matthews is doing this year and the way he's playing himself and carrying himself, it's it's been great, great for hockey, great for Toronto, um, and great for the league. I'm, I'm I'm trying to find among my sheets of paper uh, how often that has happened, but it hasn't happened a hell of a lot. I believe twice in Leafs history they have had the best player of all time. He haven't had one since Ted Kennedy in 1955. Babe Pratt, 1944, is the only other Leaf to win the Hart Trophy. I got to ask you something closer to home. Uh, it hasn't been exactly a banner year for the Montreal Canadiens, but this weekend was special. What, what did yeah. the reception for Carey Price tell you about his relationship with the, I'm going to say this, the best fans in hockey? Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, I think they showed him. You know, you know, there's all kinds of rumors whirling around. Carey is Carey coming back? Are they trying to trade him? Um, you know, what's going on with? Is he done in Montreal? The reception that he got. Uh, I know we. It's a crazy year. Like it's absolutely ridiculous what's going on with the Canadians and with Carey Price. I know he hurt his knee, but he's come back with what eight games left to go in the season. Um, when he was supposed to be back, he's supposed to be out October. Then became November, December, January, February, March, and now we're into April. You don't get that reception, I don't think, anywhere else. I think the Montreal Canadiens know how to celebrate their own. Mm-hmm. Maybe better. I think of the moment when Sakakoyevu came back from cancer, 
uh, and the ovation that he got, they, the fans of Montreal might be saying to themselves, we might be, this might be it. Because this team is yeah. rebuilding. Carey Price is an elite goalie. Carey Price, we don't know where he is in his career, but he wants to win. He wants. He got so close last year. If he wants to continue and have a chance to get back to where they got to last year, I don't think this organization is going to be there for two, two three years for sure. And how many years does Carey have left? So it's going to be a real interesting summer. Kent Hughes has done some amazing things, some trades to kind of clean it up and kind of re-prepare to, to move in a different direction. Is Carey going to be part of it? A, if, if I'm him... I want to go somewhere else because I want to win. B, what the fans just did, it's so hard to, to move on from. They're, they're really special, and it's it's. at times I get pretty, like, I want to walk around and, like, slap some of them. Like, just like, like you're morons. You're, and, and then at the same time, that was so super classy what they did uh, yeah. for Karis first game back. Yeah, without it. So, would, I mean, these are two markets that you know the best among all of them. Do you think he'd get the Raymond Bork treatment if he said, I want to go win a cup somewhere? Different times. You know why? We have a salary cap. So that's the issue. You know, and I I look at, they want to move him. I think they want to move him because if they keep him, it's a tough spot. it's a, yeah, yeah. Carries. You saw this year how tough it was. I think it's kind of they're going in the same direction. This is not a short-term fix. This is all of next year as well. Yeah. And then they give time for players to kind of marinate a little in the minors and and young players in spots. And then in a year post next year is when you start heading forward again. Um, I don't think Kerry wants to be part of it. Uh, and I, I think that. You, he'd love to go to you know Edmonton, Toronto, the two teams that can score their way out of trouble, and and it's a crazy year for these two organizations when it comes to playoffs. How their entire organizations could be different if they don't have success. Both teams can score. Both teams have spent so much money to score goals, and all year long, both teams we heard discussions about their goaltending, and it's it's just the way teams are built right now because of the salary cap. So uh, as I mentioned, Shostakin before only playing fifty games to de- uh, to date, you know, carries a ten point five million cap it to play 50 games so you're gonna have to have a goalie if you want to make a run that's gonna be making at least you want to have a good one because he's gonna play 30 and carries coming off a year injury you got to be paying him about four that's about you know 14 and a half 15 million on your two goalies so that's the the you know toronto's kind of built this way and montreal's kind of built the other way and you saw Montreal have success last year. Uh, you know, I'd love to see Kerry or, or the Edmonton Oilers organization or Toronto Maple Leafs organization have a, a great playoff run. And a lot of times, it your goalie has to stand on his head. What's the drink of choice at the bar? Well, right now I have to put it down because of this. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm on my. I wore pink for Easter for you guys. I right. thought I'd dress up for you, right. um, but uh, tequila, okay. old fashioned. Right. Oh, an well, old I mean, fashioned, yeah. An old fashioned, you know, yeah. it sounds, you know, I got my buddy over Fancy. here, trade me right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I understand. Uh, so we'll, we'll conclude this the only way I know how, and that is to quote Norm Peterson with a bar sign like that. What's shaking, Norm? All four cheeks and a couple of chins. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, PJ. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Well, everybody knows your name. <laughs> it's PJ Stock. Uh, all right, time for a break. When we come back, our Monday tip of the cap and Jesse Rubinoff with last call. Wrap things up in another edition of Tim and Friends right here. Sportsnet, Sportsnet 360. All they went really quick. 
Welcome back, kids. Our Monday tip of the cap goes to a pair of phenoms, emerging superstars, 20-year-old pitching sensation. Roki Sasaki has now thrown 17 consecutive perfect innings in Japanese baseball. On Sunday, (laughs) Sasaki was pulled from a scoreless game. Yes, he was pulled from a scoreless game. By Dave Roberts. (laughs) Uh, That came on the heels of a perfect game with 19 strikeouts in his previous start. He has not allowed a runner to reach base in a record 52 consecutive plate appearances. Not to be outdone. 16-year-old Connor Bedard became the youngest player in WHL history to score 50, scoring twice in the Regina Pats season finale on Sunday. He also finished with 100 points on the season, fourth in the league scoring race. Unfortunately, his season over because the Pats missed the playoffs. But my guy did work, and if you compare 16-year-old seasons between Connor McDavid and Connor Bedard... Just saying. Just listen. I understand these are ridiculous comparisons. They're different people. They're different leagues. They're different kids. But holy bleep, 51 goals and 100 points versus McDavid's 28 How did they miss the playoffs? That's my question. With that guy on your team. Whew. Very impressive. I don't have an answer to that. No, I wouldn't say you were looking at the I stats. Know, I know, yeah, I know that you are asking me these questions, and that's part of. No, that was rhetorical. I don't have that an was that, that was a rhetorical one. Um, <laughs> it's snowing, so why don't we check in on uh, Jurassic Park? Because I it's think in Toronto, people are still going to the. You got to stop here. this, like. Uh, just Toronto, ver- like in well, Toronto, no, no, no. like it's we're, we're, lit- we're we're here, so it's like it's snowing. It's snowing, it's snowing here. in a lot of other places. It's snowing in, in Toronto yeah. as well. But Winnipeg's that's, that's going Jurassic suck Park. it up, Buttercup. That's Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's I, not meant to, to snow in April 18th. Like it's past mid-April. No, you got to be hardcore to be down at Jurassic Park right now. Like yeah, this is the hardest of there. the core. Oh yeah. Yeah, this is you used to watch the score back in the day. Yeah. Today, this is the the home of the hardcore. Home, home of the hardcore. Going to wet snow at Jurassic Park. Good for those people. Hopefully, they get a W out of all of that. Going down there to see a loss would not be. Uh, yeah, I'm fun just. For I'm very nervous about like us whining about snow while Northern Ontario <laughs> and Winnipeg got what they got. Right. <laughs> Yeah, okay. you're right. You're right. I, just, I, have no, that, I have no comeback. I, I'm trying to distance myself. We're like in the southern tip of from Canada. that I center totally of the that. universe thing. That's no, why no. I put on the fake French accent for PJ Stock. You want to, to appeal to all of Canada? That maybe I can speak in petit peu de français, si tu veux. But you can you can say you're a little rattled, like a, a little bit of you is rattled. Yeah, no, I hate out. the fact that it's snowing out. I turned my phone. You on in the parking garage last week chirped me for still having my snow tires on, and who is the man now? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> All right, let's admit it. You were just lazy. Hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Uh, the latest version of the made-for-TV golf event, the match, will feature Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers against Patrick Mahomes. And Josh Allen, the 12-hole exhibition, 12-hole. will take place on June 1st in Las Vegas. Why 12 I don't know. I don't know why they're still doing this. If you could play a round with any of those four, who would you pick? Uh, Patrick Mahomes, so I could do TikToks with his brother. <laughs> his brother no, wouldn't okay. be there. No, no. His, his, I don't think his brother follows him around. Yeah, oh, yeah, he does. Does he still? Oh, I think yeah, Patrick yeah. put an end to that. Oh, he yeah, needs yeah. to if he oh, hasn't yeah, already. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm... Aaron Rodgers is Tom Brady. I yeah. think they're both fascinating and very complex human beings, and I'd love to have a couple beers and get some truth serum out of them. I think I think that would be very interesting. So the Brady Rodgers part of that. Yeah, Rodgers would be fascinating to, to oh. talk to one on one. I think. 
Just to be in the presence of Brady would be very cool. He is. No, but I think, I think there's some complexities to Tom Brady that aren't exactly put out there all that often because he yeah. knows better. But they're right. definitely lurking in there. A couple beers. Yeah. Get him talking. Yeah. Uh, okay, NFL offseason workouts are getting underway this week, but several star wide receivers, including the 49ers, Debo Samuel, the Titans' A.J. Brown, and Washington's Terry McLaurin, are not expected to participate as they seek new contracts. All three players have one year remaining on their rookie deals, which begs the question, who's to blame for this? I told you this from the start. Christian Kirk is to blame for this, and <laughs> the team that gave the... I mean... I hate to blame the Jaguars for anything because they just seem like uh, the horse to beat. But what the hell were they doing giving him 72? Ever since Christian Kirk got $72 million, you knew every other receiver was going to be pissed. And since then, we have seen record what numbers. What is that deal? Why did they do that? It's almost like it's like the real estate market. Oh. I think they just had FOMO. Fear of missing out. Yeah. Yeah. That might have been it. And it might have been that they just really needed a receiver to partner with Trevor Lawrence, and no one wanted to go to Jacksonville. Yeah. So they had to pay the Jacksonville hike. And apparently the Jacksonville hike, eesh. <laughs> it's a big one. All right, staying with the NFL, Colin Kaepernick recently sat down for a rare interview with former NFLers Adam Pacman Jones, Chad Johnson, and Brandon Marshall. Now, despite not playing the NFL since 2016, Kaepernick says he is serious about returning to the league and would be willing to accept the role as a backup quarterback. I know I have to find my way back in. So, yeah, if I have to come in as a backup, that's fine. But that's not where I'm, that's not where I'm staying. And when I prove that I'm a starter, I want to be able to step on the field as such. Is he ever going to get a chance? To be honest with you, I have no idea. And I've been quite clear on this from the start. Mm -hmm. Anyone who said that it was anything but him being blackballed from the NFL has no idea what they're talking about. This was a guy who spoke on a nerve. And people didn't like that. He's much better than... What, fifty percent of the quarterbacks in the league? Like, yeah. I'm not talking about starters. I'm just talking fifty percent of the. You're constantly looking for quarterbacks, and this guy has been sitting on the outside looking in the entire time. He is more talented than fifty percent of the quarterbacks who are currently employed by NFL teams, and it was probably more in 2017 it's when crazy. he first found himself without a job. Not playing in the NFL since 2016. That's a long time. Like he might have been good then. It's a long time. And what, six years. What's even crazier is that the game has morphed more into what he did well yeah, that's true. than it was in 2016. Um, so someone, I think enough time has passed. That's the one thing that I know is that t- time will heal everything. I think enough time has passed that someone will bring him in and he will probably play quarterback in the NFL again. Maybe the Jags pair him up with Christian Kirk. There you go. (laughs) And we were talking about umpires earlier, and former MLB ump Cowboy Joe West will be starting his own weekly podcast starting on May the 2nd. So, what's a podcast that you don't want to hear? (laughs) Do I just rip on people? Yeah, I I don't want to hear an Angel Hernandez podcast. Kyrie Irving wouldn't interest me. Kyrie Irving would interest me a lot. Kanye, I don't, I don't really have time for anymore. Angel Hernandez a on a strike podcast. zone? Yeah, that would be. <laughs> yeah, My Strike Zone by Angel Hernandez. 
<laughs> this is basically just as bad, is it not? Joe West? Oh, there's, there's, I mean, Country Joe's got a lot to him. Right. There's going to be some stories in there, I would imagine, on the weekly pod. I might actually listen to, to one episode of that, see how it goes. That's like uh, gun safety with Plexico Burrows. <laughs> I think that's cool. Uh, that does it for us. with uh, JPP. One more time. Fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a reminder, Rogers Hometown Hockey coming up 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet, followed by a double dip on the network. That does it for our Monday. We'll see you again on Tuesday, kids. Uh-oh.